Tonight, you guys, we're going to be looking at three more of the plagues that were brought to Egypt, or brought upon Egypt, should I say. And for each of these plagues, we're going to see, as we're going to see with all 10 plagues, that there's very specific reason God chose those particular plagues, and we're going to see very specific ways that God uses them differently. Remember what we've already looked at. God has poured out one, one thing, right? We saw the snakes being devoured, but that wasn't really the plague, the first plague we saw last week, right? And that plague came upon who? Came upon everybody. It wasn't just the Egyptians, right? It was, it was everybody. And so in all of this, as we're examining all of this, you guys, this uh, whole thing, right? They all had to deal with the blood. They all had to deal with all the fact, the, fact, the fact that all the water became blood. They had to dig fresh wells, deep, deep, deep wells to get it to that place. And what did we see? The magicians, they were able to create blood through the power of Satan. But what did that really mean? To me, if I were the Pharaoh, I'd be like, bro, stop. If you can't fix this, don't make it worse, right? But they didn't. They did that. And we're going to see that again tonight. But we're going to see how God is going to show his power and his authority to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians in amazing ways. But we're also going to continue to see some of what we saw last week, which is sometimes even Christians, even children of God, end up going through some of the struggles that the nation's going through. And so Americans... I think that's a good thing to keep processing, right? We're not immune to the things that God might allow our nation to go through, and that's okay because there's a good precedent for it. But the cool thing is, you guys, and this is the thing we always need to keep in mind, this is as bad as it will ever get for every Christian. <laughs> so when you're like, mm, it's bad, but I can live with it. And if I can't live with it, I go home, and that's going to be even better, <laughs> right? So there's really, it's just kind of cool how that works. So we're going to see a lot of things tonight. Verse 1 of chapter 7. You guys ready? Forgive me. Chapter 8. Chapter 8. I'm so sorry. It says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all of your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which will shall go up and come into your house, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up upon you, on your people, and on all your servants. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up onto the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and, over, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Verse 7, it says this, and the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Here we see them again, adding to the problem. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses that they may remain in the river only. And so he said, tomorrow... And he said, let it be according to your word that you, may, that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. 
And the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. And then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh. And Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs, which he had brought against Pharaoh. And so the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. And then they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. So you guys, the second plague of frogs that God told them would come. But what did we see again? They didn't listen. We know they weren't going to listen. God had already said that. And God is very specific in the way that he speaks about it. And I want you guys to hear this. They would come out of the Nile. They would come out of every area. What is the water currently? Blood, right? Or it's being just been healed of the blood. We're not 100% sure. But at any rate, a lot of these frogs were there. And we need to think about that. They're going to come out of the Nile in such abundance that they're going to be everywhere. In their courtyards, he says, in their houses, on them, in their kneading bowls, in their ovens. I mean, that's pretty gross. I'm thinking like big old bullfrogs, right? Huge, slimy guys, like just, right? Everybody's got warts. It's just bad news. <laughs> I need you guys to hear this. They were going to be completely overran by frogs. Now, there's a lot of really amazing things about this that I want to look at. First off, frogs were part of the pantheon of things that were worshipped in Egypt. Shocker, right? God is coming against these Egyptians' little g, false gods. Each and every time, each and every one, there's at least one that he's coming against. And for this one, there was this goddess that is named Heket. And Heket was the goddess of fertility and childbirth. And so Heket was like a woman with a frog head. Beauty, right? Just the one I want to marry. Mm. No. So they were so important, though. Listen, this, this one, Heket, was very, very important in their cult worship. Why? Because think about it, fertility and childbirth, that's very important to any nation, right? So this goddess, Heket, was one that they were like, it mattered. They, 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 they looked at it and they were like, they, wouldn't, they, wouldn't, they were like, in, you know how in uh, India, how you don't kill um, cows, right? Because there's the sacred cows, which is where we get the phrase holy cow, right? That whole process, it was the same way with frogs there. You didn't kill frogs. Now think about this. Frogs in your ovens, in your kneading bowls, on you, in your house, in your clothes, you're sleeping at night and it's like, rah, 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 like up in your face. I mean, imagine this, you guys. You're going to want to kill these frogs. You don't want to see these frogs, but in their estimation of frogs, you weren't allowed to kill them. They were not to be killed. Now, there was a level of time during every year, that it was normal for these frogs to be in abundance, not to this level, but to be in abundance. When was that time, you guys? Well, it was after the flooding season, so it would be in December for them. So in December would be when there would be an expectation of more frogs. But obviously, still along the riverbank, still doing their things, doing what normal frogs do, this was not normal. Here's the other thing. This, you guys, was in August. So everything about this was supernatural. Everything about this was out of the rhythm. And not only was it out of the rhythm, remember, what did they just get over? How many frogs died in the blood? How many frogs didn't make it? The abundance of frogs that are coming out is obviously not normal. There's nothing about this that makes any ecological sense, right? Like we don't look at this as biologists and say, oh yeah, well, of course that's what happened. And that's what, 
right? That's what most people try to do. And I love that God chooses to do things in his word so that when we look at it, we're like, well, either we've got to believe that God actually did it and it was a miracle or we have to like do what? Not believe it because it doesn't make any sense. So the river had been turned to blood. There's tons of dead and rotting fish all around. We're already told that the land stunk. And now in every way after this supernatural thing, these poor frogs suffer, suffer a similar fate as the fish and they all die. And it's not like they were like, hey, let's go back to the river and die. No, they just died where they were. God's like, okay, buddies, you're done. So now they take them and they, they gather them up into big, huge piles all over the city. All over Egypt, they're just gathering them up in big piles. And this was not just the Egyptians. This was the Jews. They're like, gross. They're having to get them out of their matzah. They're having to get them out of everything, right? They're like, hey, get out of here, freak. You know what I mean? They're yelling at these frogs. They're sleeping and having them bounce all over their bodies and doing all this craziness. They've got to endure it too. So they've got big piles piled up. And so can you guys just, it's, it's kind of like funny to me in verse 14, it says that they gathered them together in heap, heaps and the land stank. You think? I, like that, that's pretty profound there, Moses. Good for you for writing such a profound statement. So here we see the suffering that they were put through. And it's more of a nuisance than it is a suffering in a way, right? But do you understand? And I want you guys to see the grace of God in this. Because a lot of people will be like, look at how mean God was to put these plagues upon Egypt. And I'm like, the first one was bad, but it's not like he cursed all the water so that all the Egyptians died, right? No, he made a way for them to get water. The second one was bad, but it was more of an annoyance than it was a real affliction upon them. God is giving them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to say, please stop. Please get your head around the fact that I'm, I mean what I say, and I am who I am, and all of your little fake gods are not going to help you out of these things, and I'm going to show you how. But each and every time, it's God's grace that he's saying to the Pharaoh, like, stop playing this game. But God, Pharaoh didn't heed his warning. So God did what he did, and interestingly enough, and this is what's funny, the magicians, again, were empowered by Satan to do what? To copy and imitate what was already done. So what did they do? They made the problem worse a second time. To me, if I were just like, if I were the Pharaoh, I'd be like, guys, for real, stop. Like, what, what are you doing? You, like, what I need you to do is fix this. But instead, they're like, look, we can do it too. You, you didn't have enough? Here, let me give you 20 more right? In your house. Like, it's, an, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Do you guys notice the trend here? Satan doesn't make things better. Satan can do a lot as God, as God gives him permission to do it, but Satan never makes things better. Satan did a lot to Job. Name one thing that we saw in Job's life that was good. Not one. Not one. And then Satan had a wife that, or I'm sorry, Job had a wife that Satan didn't even have to do anything to, but she was like, just curse God and die for real, right? I'm like, hey, thanks, lady, right? Satan's like, oh, that was a good one. It's ridiculous, you guys. Another thing I want to look at here is this, that God didn't just pour this out on the Egyptians. Everyone that was in Egypt, the Egyptians, as well as their servants, who were their servants? The Jews. All of them went through this. God isn't always going to release us from pain. And I think we need to get our heads around that. So after a time, remembering that 
Frogs were not meant to be killed. Pharaoh asked Moses and Aaron, and he's like, go tell your God, I relent. Like, can you just take this away? And so he did it. But then what happens? He says no. He's not going to do it. He hardened his heart even more as soon as he got some level of relief. So I need us to think about this. These piles and piles of dead and rotting animals. The piles of dead fish rotting along the Nile. All of these nasty, disgusting things. How eye-watering would it have been to walk outside? Can you imagine trying to cook? Right at first you're annoyed because you're trying to cook and there's frogs in your bowls and stuff like that, but now you're trying to cook and you can't get a good enough smell to get rid of the smell that you're smelling all around. It's kind of gross. Imagine if I keep talking about how bad the stench was. Maybe we could talk enough that somebody might vomit. You guys, when Pharaoh realized that there was some relief, he was like, I'm done, I'm not going to do this. And I think that's interesting because it's not like the smell went away. It's not like he didn't have the reminder of the big piles everywhere. He chose to kind of blind himself to the whole thing. He chose to kind of, I mean, I need us to hear this. Do you see how self-centered Pharaoh is? He's not even thinking about his own people at this point. He's so concerned about not losing the thing that he has, thinks he has control over that he's not even thinking, man, now my people have endured two things that were horrific back to back. Verse 16, let's keep reading. It says this. So the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and on beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice. That's great. But they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. And then the magician said to Pharaoh, listen to this, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them just as the Lord had said. So next up, you guys, we have this plague of lice. And God, right away, do you notice there's something missing here? And we're going to see this in some of the other plagues, but there's times when Pharaoh's like, you just made a promise that you were going to send the people away and you lied. You went back on your promise, and so God's like, okay, obviously you're not, you're not listening. And so he didn't even go back into Pharaoh and give him the courtesy of saying, hey, this is what's coming next. He's just like, do it. Bring it. And so here was this plague of lice. And the Hebrew word that's used here, this is the only place that it's actually used in the Bible. It's, the Hebrew word is kanim, and what it refers to actually is small biting insects. So it could be gnats, could be mosquitoes, or could be lice. So they're not 100% sure what it physically was, but here's whatever it was. It came from the dust. And so it was obviously a creation that God did right then and there, right? Maybe it was its own little animal that like whatever, but it, whatever it was, it was small and it bit. So it wasn't a fun thing to deal with. Whatever type of bug, it was definitely a nuisance and it caused anguish to the man and the beast. And God didn't let Pharaoh know this one was coming. Like I said, why? Because probably because he broke his word. 
Who was he coming against in this one? It's interesting that God chose for Aaron to just knock the dust up and for them to become lice. He's actually coming against two different gods in this one. Geb, who was their god of earth, and Set. You guys have heard of Set, right? That's a pretty common Egyptian god, the god Set. Set was actually the god of the desert. These two gods were the ones that he was coming against. He's like, the dirt isn't yours. And these gods that you worship of this dirt, they're, not, they're nothing. They're false. So God took the dust and created this pest to attack the people and the livestock. And this was a slap in the face to these gods. And I want you to notice as well that this is the first time we see that the magicians couldn't do anything. The magicians were not enabled to do this. And this is yet another clear sign, you guys, that we see all throughout Scripture. God does give permission to Satan to do certain things. We see that in the book of Revelation. We literally see that Satan right now in this particular time is able to go to heaven and talk to God and say, hey, I want to do this. And God says yes or no. I'll allow that or I won't allow that. And here we see God didn't allow that. God did not allow Satan to imitate this. And I need us to hear that. That's important. God is the one that is in charge. We need to hear that. I think too often, two things. We tend to blame a lot more on the enemy than we should. Because sometimes I think it's just us being stupid. Right? And we're like, oh man, Satan totally made me speed. And then, and then I had a wreck. And I can't believe Satan made me do that. And you're like, no, dude, it was you. And you wanted to go fast because you wanted to get home early. And you're the one that had the wreck. Right? A lot of the times that happens. But the other thing is, is that we got to remember is that anything that God's allowing in our life is for our good. God is working good in it. Everything. Everything. And that's hard to hear sometimes, isn't it? It doesn't mean everything's easy by any stretch. It also doesn't mean that everything is like God's up there being like, this is how I'm going to do it and it's all going to be good. Does that make sense? I'm not acting like when we see bad things happening in our life that we can look and be like, oh God, I know you've got a plan and I know this and that. I mean, we should do that. That's not easy to get to that place though, is it? Does that make sense? So when we're looking at these things, can you imagine being an Israeli that's like, why do I have lice on me? I don't want lice on me. Why did I have to endure these frogs, God? I don't want frogs in my, in my food. I don't want all these things, God. And yet God is using it for good, for their good. And that's what I'm trying to get at. When we start bringing that into our lives, I think it brings me a peace that does surpass understanding. Because I don't know about you guys, but I've had some stuff in my life that I look at that in those moments and maybe even for a little while after, I'm like, God, I don't know what the good was of this. And it takes some time to get to a place where I'm like, I do see good there. We can trust that God is working good all the way through it. As Christians, we can. And I think that's important to hold on to. Because a lot of times when we're going through the bad stuff, none of us are here being like, yes, God, so good. Right? No, we're like, man, this stinks, God. And if you could take this away, I'd love it. Please. And I don't think that's a bad prayer. But the resting in the fact that God is going to bring good out of it is the most important piece of the puzzle. Amen? Amen. What happened after the magicians even? We're like, hey, this right here, this has to be the work of God. We can't do this, right? Because remember, were they literally looking to Satan to get the, their way? No, you guys, they didn't. No, who were they looking to each and every time? 
When the blood got changed, they looked to that God. When the lice happened, who were they looking at? Haket, right? They were looking at these different people and, or you know, whatever one it was for the things, but not the lice. Oh, man, I'm sorry. The frogs, they were looking to Haket and they're like praying to Haket. And like I told you last week, Satan doesn't care who you pray to as long as it's not Yahweh, <laughs> right? So he's like, you want to think it's Haket? Great, no problem. God gives me permission. I'm going to bring frogs. Do you get my point? So this is the first time they're like, we're praying to Set. We're praying to our gods and it's not working. This has to be their God. It's the only thing that makes sense. And yet we see Pharaoh, even at that point, he wasn't having it. He didn't listen. Verse 20. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out of the water. And then say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, excuse me, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen. Where's that at? That's where all the Jews were. In which my people dwell that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that they may know that, or that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be, and the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. So now we see this final plague that we're going to be looking at tonight, the plague of flies. And there's some obvious distinctions in this plague that we need to talk about. First off, God shows Pharaoh that all the Egyptians and all the Egyptians, that he can curse the Egyptians and protect his people. And that's important because it was possible that Pharaoh every time was like, well, these are really weird coincidences that we've got going on around here. But I mean, it's happening to everybody. So, you know right? The, the age old argument, like everybody's got it. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's got, you know, this idea of like, well, it's happening to everybody. So I'm not going to listen. And so God's going and making a distinction, right? That they were not just poorly timed coincidences. And the words of Moses and Aaron weren't just lucky, right? That it wasn't just something they said. And then, oh, it just so happened to happen to everybody right? Can you, can you see that? It's almost like Pharaoh was saying like, there's no way. I mean, if it was happening to everybody, then it can't be their God. It just has to be life. It has to be something that's just going on. This plague was showing God, or was God showing the Pharaoh again that there was another false God in Egypt? And that God was named Keper. K-H-E-P-E-R. Keper. He was the God, or he was the God of beetles and flies. And so this word here could also be referring to the scarab. And we all know in Egyptian lore, the scarab, right? A beetle. That's literally what Kepra means, scarab. And so if you know anything about Egypt, we know that in all the hieroglyphs that we find, especially in the, in the uh, pyramids and things like that, which are what? Big, huge tombs for pharaohs and for rich folk. There's scarabs all over the place, all through there. Now, what was his job? What was Kepper's job? Well, he was the false god 
that dealt with life and rebirth. What did the Egyptians believe? You guys know? They would go with the sun, with Ra, and they would be taken into eternity, and in eternity they would be reborn. So do you understand why the scarab, we find it all over the place? This God was vitally important. And I think it's interesting because it's not like they could just look around and say, oh, well, Kepper was doing this and this is how it was. So it could have been flies. It could have been beetles. We don't know exactly what it was. But do you understand that the fact that it was only affecting the Egyptians and not the Jews was huge on multiple levels? Because there's this thing that they're like, yeah, this is, this is a good thing. This takes us across. And they were on our side, essentially, to the Egyptians. And now it was being a curse upon them but not upon the people that they would have expected it to be a curse upon from an Egyptian perspective. Does that make sense? You guys think about the fact that there were these piles and piles, remember, of rotting fish, of rotting frogs, still baking in the sun. The stench would have been overwhelming. And now to these two obviously disgusting, gross things that were happening everywhere, God's like, oh, hey, guys, here's one more, right? Now, the lice have gone away. That's fine. Like the biting insects, that's gone. But I'm going to send you a swarm, a swarm, you guys, that was thick. Did you guys get that? It's oppressively bad. He said it's like, it's going to be so thick. It's going to be in your homes. It's going to be everywhere. It's going to be everywhere you step. Do you guys ever step on a beetle? They crunch. You've got these piles, and now you're walking all over these dead bugs. These bugs are like, <laughs> I'm literally trying to make you puke. <laughs> the fact is, you guys, it says here that they were, it was so bad that it corrupted the land. Think about that. So many flies that it ruined even more what was already, essentially, in my estimation, pretty darn ruined. If I'm walking down the streets of New York City and there are humongous piles of rotting frogs and along the bay where there was all these rotting fish and I'm walking across land that I'm crunching on tons of bugs, I'm probably going to look at New York and be like, we need to get out of here, like now, right? Like that. I don't want to be there. I need us to get our head around just what God is doing here. It's bad. This is gross. This is nasty. And we've had one thing that's maybe bring a little bit of discomfort to their own bodies, those biting flies or whatever they were, the lice, the things that were biting them. That's been the only thing so far that's really brought pain their way. I need us to think about that again. I want us to process this as we go through this because you guys, too many people look at God in the Old Testament and think he's somehow different than when he brought Jesus. Like Jesus balanced out Father God. And it's like, no, not at all. God is gracious all the way through scripture from from Genesis to maps, all of it, every part of it, all of it, God is gracious. All of it, God had a plan in. Even in this, God is saying, I love you. Would you please stop? Get a hold of what I'm saying to you. Don't keep going the direction you're going. He wouldn't listen. So the land of Goshen, thankfully, I could imagine the Jews were like, "Woo!" <laughs> right? Thanks for that, God but I need us to see this too. Whether these were flies or beetles or wherever, 
Do we have like beetle wranglers in the world or fly wranglers in the world? We don't, do we? Why? Because flies aren't that smart. They're pretty stupid. So it's not natural that flies would be like, well, I'm not going to go for those pile of dead frogs, but I'll stick around these guys. It's not natural that they would be like, I'm only going to be literally knowing geography enough to know where Goshen is so that I don't go there. This is obviously God. This is obviously something that is just insanely obvious. Now, I need us to hear this too. We've all dealt with flies, haven't we? You know how what happens when you get one in your house? It never goes away, does it? Dude, all summer long. For the rest of summer, if you get one fly, we've had one fly in our house and we'll be watching TV at night and all the lights will be off and it's like, and you're like, stupid fly. And then you get up there to get it and what happens? We have vaulted ceilings. So it flies up to the vaulted ceiling. You're like, somehow magically the next day, there's two flies. And you're like, how? It's not even possible. So annoying. They're there forever. You guys, this is how it was for them. Think about that. So many of whatever it was, a fly or a beetle, so many that wherever they walk, they're crunching them. And, and I can't even imagine like where they open up cupboards and stuff or like whatever that looked like. And it was just everywhere. It's gross, dude. It's disgusting. Let's keep reading. Verse 25. It says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, it is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? We will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may go sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you will not go very far away. Intercede for me. And then Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord for the swarms of flies, or that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. And so Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people, and not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, and neither would he let the people go. So Pharaoh, finally, he starts at least trying to compromise with Moses. He's like, hey, just go to Goshen. Go to where you already are and just go sacrifice there. Like, what's the big deal? Why do you have to actually listen to God who told you to go three days journey? Like, you don't have to. You can do it right here. And Moses makes it clear that, look, to compromise and do what God had asked halfway would be detestable to God. You get what he's saying there? He's like, we're not going to do it here because even the cattle that we would bring are an abomination to God because God told us not to do it here. So even if we grab a cow from here and put it on the, and, and sacrifice it, it would not be good to God because it is not what God said. How often do we hear that throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, right? Saul, kill everybody, right? You guys remember that story? And then Samuel shows up. What is the bleeding of sheep that I hear? What is the thing that I hear? Why did you not kill this king? Well, I thought God would kind of like it. God, No, God told you what to do. Do it. 
right? Man, it's a lesson we could all learn. God had called them to go out away from Egypt and from and there to worship and sacrifice for him. And Pharaoh, yet again, gives his word. <laughs> we should learn by now that his word doesn't mean much. That they would be able to go out, but I want you to notice this. He still thinks, can you guys see this? He still thinks he has control. He's like, I'll let you go out, fine. You don't want to do it in Goshen, I'll let you go out, but not very far. Okay, you still don't get it. We're going to go as far as God tells us to go. That's, that's what we're going to do. We're not going to listen to you. In order to sacrifice, like he's going to put a limit on God. He still thinks he's in charge, you guys. And Moses tells Pharaoh, look, I'm going to go to ask God to relent on these flies the next day. But he also calls Pharaoh out. Did you notice? He's like, man, you better, you better not be, keep dealing deceitfully with, with our God. And I don't think he was like, man, don't do that to our God. No, I think he was like, for your own sake, understand, I'm not playing with you. God's not playing with you. If you haven't got that yet, you're dense. And apparently, Pharaoh was a pretty dense guy. So Moses prayed, all the flies left just as miraculously as they had first taken over. And I need you to hear this. It says in here that not one remained. Not one remained. Man, I need Moses this summer. Don't you? Not one remained. I'm going to be like, Moses, come on, man. Hook a brother up. Pray for me. I don't want no stinking flies in my house. I'm just saying, that's a miracle in and of itself. But what happened when the Pharaoh... God is relief again. He hardened his heart. He didn't follow through. You guys, I want to examine the two big takeaways from tonight's message. My prayer is that as we go through these things, that this isn't just a historical narrative and that we don't. I mean, it's cool to know what gods that it was coming against. And I think that's good stuff to know. But a lot of Exodus, we're going to be digging through you guys, that there's a lot of history. There's a lot of numerology. There's a lot of like color theory and all these different things that we're going to be talking about as we get into like the tabernacle and all the stuff, and obviously there's a lot of amazing things, right? Like the parting of the Red Sea and just so many cool things. But the thing I want to always kind of keep track of is, God, what do you have for us to apply in our lives in it? And so as I was praying through this this week, the two big takeaways that God gave me was this. I want you to notice this week, Moses being faithful in his following of God. Did you notice that? We don't hear a lot of arguing this week. Are we done with all of Moses' arguing? No. <laughs> We're not, but I, I love that we see this, that in spite of the outcome, Moses is being faithful to follow God. I think it's important. The second thing I want to look at is Pharaoh's heart throughout this whole chapter. And I need us to understand something. I think Pharaoh's heart helps us to look at the world around us and see things clearly, but I also think it's a good question for us to ask, how can we have a heart like Pharaoh sometimes? Right? So first thing I want to look at is Moses. We've seen Moses grow in his following of God, haven't we? Dude, we just started out not long ago where he's like, oh, don't, you know, here am I, God, don't send me. Bring somebody else or send somebody else. I don't want to do this. And we've gone from that to a place where he's like, God said it, I'm doing it. God said to say this, I said it. God said for me to tell Aaron to do something, I tell him. I think that's awesome. I think it's awesome. Why? Because what started out as a hesitant and argumentative type of following that Moses was after, or Moses was doing, has turned into a more steady 
followership. He's learning to trust God more as he gets to know God more. You guys, I think the same is true for us, isn't it? I believe that as we step out and trust God and we see him move in our life, that we start trusting him even more. And he ends up doing this amazing thing. We find this rhythm in our life, not of perfection, but of steadiness in our obedience to him, don't we? I am doing things now that I promise you I never would have done for multiple reasons, but just spiritually, I would never have done many, many, many things that I have seen God do through my life if he would have poured them all out at 16 years old when I first got saved, right? I would have been like, ah, uh, not only no, but heck no, <laughs> right? God works through us and we get to see God move in our life and we're like, dang, that was pretty impressive. Tonight, Jake stepped totally out of his comfort zone and did something amazing. That's awesome. What else does God have for him down the road? That he's going to be able to watch happen because he was willing this time to step out. Where did we start with Jake? Right? You see my point? Where did you guys start in your lives with the Lord? What did that look like when you first got saved? What was the uncomfortable thing for you? And would you look back on that uncomfortable thing now and say, man, that really is not a big deal to me. But back then it was. And I feel like we get to watch Moses kind of mature and grow in his walk. And I think that's exciting because I think that's all of us, you guys. As we step out and trust God, we get to see him move. And as we do that, we begin to find this rhythm of steady obedience. And the coolest part about it, you guys, is that God will never stop directing while at the same time, God will never stop pushing us a little bit further out of our comfort zone. And we'll became, become comfortable in things that once were super uncomfortable. And then when we're seven or eight steps ahead, we're going to look back and be like, dang, that, that's nothing to me. Like that, that God, you've got it. Like I don't even doubt in any way, shape or form that you can do that because I've seen you do it how many times. But God's not done. He's not like, all right, just stay here in this kiddie pool. No, he's like, go deeper, go deeper, go deeper, go deeper. I think that's awesome. I want to get to a place in my own life and in my own walk with the Lord. And I think that we all should be in this place where we're like, man, Lord, I'm so over my head. And he's like, I know I've got you. And we just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and trusting you guys that he is the air we breathe. He is everything. We don't have to doubt it. We've got it in him. It's awesome. So it kind of reminds me a bit of Matthew 25, right? talents, the parable of the talents. A lot of people look at that as money, and it, it was money, but do you understand the mina, the talents, that concept there that Jesus was trying to get at was this. He's given each and every believer a talent, something that God wants you to use for his glory that he poured into you, he put into you. And then occasionally we have people like Jake that he just pours everything out, <laughs> right? He's like, oh, my paint bucket spilled. Oh, well, you're good, Right? But for most of us, <laughs> we've got one thing, two things. I don't know what, right? And God wants you to step out in them. But as you step out in those, do you know what God does? He gives you more talent sometimes. Or he, or he does more in those things that you're like, man, I never would have done that. But now I find myself doing it. And God, as you're growing in me, I find myself using the things that you've given me in much more amazing levels. And then he says, step out into something different. And you're like, I, mean, I don't even know if you've gifted me here, but I'm going to try that too. Okay, cool. And you find out God's gifted you there too. It's something that I love and that I see in Moses that I'm like, man, I want that to be true in my life. 
Next thing I want to look at is Pharaoh's heart throughout all of this chapter. You guys in the world today, I don't think it's hard to look around and see people's hearts being hardened. Sometimes, the truth is, you guys, we see people that have really bad things going on. And I think there's a a percentage of the time that we could look and say, "Mm, you kind of brought those things upon yourself. That's a fair statement sometimes. But I need us to hear this. Sometimes it is of their own decisions, but sometimes it's just because there's hard stuff happening in their life. Right? No one asks to be sexually abused. No one asks to be enduring things that are done unto you that have no that are no fault of your own. Sometimes that leads to other things where people do start doing harm to themselves through drugs or lascivious living. And so I'm just saying that to say, man, we can see that people are hardening their hearts in this world, but I don't ever want to get to a place where we're like, well, you brought that upon yourself and then walk away because God forbid we would ever have hearts like that. I think that's a hardening of our own hearts at that point. People are human and they're the same type of human that we are. We have no idea the baggage and the garbage that they've walked through to get where they are in their life. And yet God wants to meet them where they are and bring healing into their lives. I need us to hear this, you guys. Sometimes people will come to church. Why? Like Pharaoh did. Like, I'll make concessions with you, Moses. You can do it this way. Or you can do it this way, but only a little bit for our, you know, I only want you to go where I want you to go and do that. And we have people, you guys, that need their fix. They're in a really bad place and God maybe finally gives them a glimmer they, they finally are like open enough. Their heart is softened in some area enough where they're like, I'm going to show up and I'm going to get to church and I'm going to get my God fix so then I can just do what? Go back out into the world and go right back to the way I was. And they almost use it as a crutch sometimes to get them back to a place of happiness, right? We've seen that. We've all seen that. My heart breaks for the many people that have come in and out of this church. My heart is blessed when God gets them back to a place that's bad for them, but brings them back into the church. (laughs) My hope and my prayer, though, is this. You guys, people are going to stay in charge of themselves until they realize that they're really not in charge of themselves. Right? We were all once thinking that we were in charge of ourselves. And it wasn't until we got to a place in our own lives where we're like, oh, God, I stink at this. I do not have this, God. There's no way I can do this. I need you. My prayer for us as a church, you guys, is that we are the hospital to the hurting world. We're a hospital. And I mean that. We're a hospital because we need healing. (laughs) Right? We need healing, you guys. And my prayer for these people that come in and out of the church and who knows who we've got coming in. You guys, there's a lot of things going on in the world as a whole, but also right here locally. There's a lot of hurt right here. There's a lot of hurt in the world. There's a lot of hurt in church right now, in different churches. There's a lot of hurt. I don't know what that's going to look like for us, but I want to be a church that looks and says, man, we are the hospital, but the only cure, you guys, is Jesus. He's the cure. He's my cure. He's your cure. He's the cure. This is the place to come and get some healing. But the healing's 
The only healing, the only thing that's ever going to work is Jesus. Because without the cure, you guys, and I think this is what, unfortunately, too many people treat church like. Church is nothing more than a temporary Band-Aid. And a Band-Aid cannot stop a gushing wound. Only Jesus can. And too many people are like, well, it's enough. And they go back out into the world until they get their next major injury. And then they come back. How do we stop that cycle? Honestly, we don't. Only God can. But I know one way that God uses his church to be a part of it. That is not looking at people as a person to fix. And not looking at people and thinking how horrible they are. I think if we actually look at other people and say, man, I've got the cure. And it's the same cure that I needed. And it's the same cure that I still ingest every day. Jesus, that's it. And when you get a hold of that cure, it begins to change everything. And life doesn't automatically get better, but there's something different about it. And it changes your literally your entire eternity. And guys, I want us to be a church like that. And I almost feel like here's Moses, an adopted son of Pharaoh. Who knows, right? It's, it's, the assumption is basically that this particular Pharaoh was the one that he was growing up with. So he knew this guy. And so I don't think Moses was up with this Pharaoh and being like, you loser, I can't believe you, you idiot. Why would you keep doing this? No, I think when he said what he said about like, look, Pharaoh, do not come against my God. Don't do that. I don't think he was up there being like, or you're going to get it. I think his heart was more like, please, for your own sake, for your people's sake, please stop. How often is that our heart for people that come through these doors? For your own sake, come to Jesus, stop. Stop the drugs. Stop the the abuse of your body. Stop thinking you've got it all figured out when we all know you don't. And by the way, neither do we. The final area I want to look at, you guys, is this. How often in our own lives can we just be like Pharaoh? I'll say this all the time. I don't ever look at God's word and look at the, the villain, so to speak, or the one that you can look upon and say, ah, they're despicable, <laughs> right? Which, by the way, through like the book of Ezekiel, guess who the despicable people are? Pretty much not the Babylonians very much. It's usually the Israelites, <laughs> What should that do? I think that should give us the perspective of like, we need to look at us before we ever start looking elsewhere. And so for us, man, how can we be like Pharaoh? I think we can be. I think, listen, I need Jesus to dynamite my stony heart every day. Every day. I don't know about y'all. When I get up and I'm going about my day and I get on Facebook and I come across something I don't agree with, And my heart can get a little stony. When you're watching a football game and there's a really stupid penalty, my heart can get a little stony. What about you guys? I'm being kind of silly, but I'm being honest. When you have a conversation with somebody and it doesn't go like you thought, it's easy for your heart to get a little stony and be like, well, they're just stupid or they're just a jerk or they're just that or they're just that. No, they're just human like you and me. And God wants to know them as much as he knows you and me. I feel like, man, I need Jesus to be in like dynamite to my heart every day. 
Guys, I need you to hear this. I think we're the most effective for the kingdom of God when we remember that we are the exact same type of human as every other human on this earth, regardless of skin color, sexual orientation, whether you know what sex you are or not. Anything that we could bring to the table or any person that would ever walk through this door is just as human, just as flawed, and just as loved by God as you and me. I don't want us to have stony hearts like Pharaoh because I think, guys, that when we get there, and I think too many churches are there, and it doesn't take much looking around on Facebook. Do you know why my heart gets stony sometimes, if I'm being really honest? Sometimes it's because there's people in this church that I see their posts, and I'm like, dang, man, why? Sometimes people might look at my posts and do the same thing. So I'm not, even in that, I'm not judging. I can be that way too. So man, I feel like, we need to be humbly obedient, obedient to Yahweh. We need to continue to serve Jesus. And how do we do that? By spending time with the one that we're serving, by getting to know him, by spending time in his word, by praying and seeking his face, by spending time one with another and being softened in our ways and being real with one another and not being afraid to be like, you know what? It really ticks me off that those stupid referees Called that dumb penalty at the end of the Super Bowl and everyone else can be like, dude, it's just a game. Calm down. And I'm like, you're right. I don't want you to be right, but you're right. I'm talking about something silly. What about the real important things that really do matter, right? Guys, we need to be a church that's ready to be the hospital that God's called us to be because I think we've got a lot of sick people and I'm not talking about us yet, but even we are in the same thing because he only cures Jesus. So we need to never forget that we have a little Pharaoh living in us, don't we? He's called the old man or the old self, sinful self, the flesh. And I don't know about you, but I'm just asking God every day to kill the Pharaoh in me, to kill the old flesh in me, to make less room in my own life for that Pharaoh to wield his ugly head and more room for himself to shine through me, to shine through all of us. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. And Father, here we are looking at something historically that is shocking, God. Honestly, all these plagues are, are just shocking, God. What you did, how you did it, Father, what, what things you chose to do and, and how they line up, Lord, and, and, and really debunk, God, these false gods that the Egyptians were putting their hope and putting their faith into, Father. I, don't, I, I know for a fact, Lord, it wasn't by accident. God, you don't do things by coincidence or by accident. God, you know exactly what you're doing and you do it to fulfill the plan and the will that you have for whatever you're trying to do, God, for, for, for us, Lord, for this world. And so, God, as we examine these things, and as we look, Lord, at, at, and thank you, Father, that Moses, we get to see him grow, Lord, and how patient and gracious you were with him, Father. I'm thankful for that, God, because we need your patience and your grace in our own lives, God. And maybe those areas, Father, that we may be like Moses, just saying, no, send somebody else. I don't want to do it. God, I'm asking for each and every believer here tonight, God, that they would look at the example that Moses uh, shows us here, and, and, and Lord, to just step out in obedience in ways, Lord, that maybe make us very uncomfortable, but God, that just allow for you to move so that, Lord, we grow in the process, Father, and that you continue to push us forward step by step by step, Lord, in this walk of sanctification. 
God, I pray as we do that, Father, that you would give us impact in the world around us, Father, because our world is full of pharaohs, God, full of very hardened people. And Lord, up here in New England, Lord, it feels like there's extra rocks, extra hardness, God. Lord, it's the granite state here in New Hampshire, Father. I feel like there's a level, Father, in people's hearts just of knowledge that makes them think that they're puffed up and that they've got it figured out, Lord, or just maybe insecurity that's hidden by pride, God. But Father, in every way, I'm thankful, Lord, that you, you, God, are the cure. You, Lord, are the one. You're the salve to our hearts, Lord, to soften it. Father, you are exactly what we need, God, to to get us into the kingdom of God. Lord, you, Jesus, are the only way in. You're the only thing that ever fixes anything, God. Lord, I pray, Father, that our hearts would be walking in humble obedience, God, but that in all of that, Lord, that we would not look to the world around us, God, and think ill of them, Lord God, because, man, it doesn't take more than a few seconds to look at our own hearts and see how the Pharaoh can be in us too. God, would you work in a way that only you can work? God, would you revive us? Father, I am praying, Lord, as we continue through Exodus, God, as we walk through this world, Lord, I think time is short, Father. So, Father, give us what we need to hear. But, Lord, ultimately, I'm asking this big, big prayer, God. Crack our stony hearts. Soften them. Turn them, Lord, into good, fertile soil. Lord, plant your seed in there, Father, and I'm asking, bear fruit. Bear fruit in our lives. Move through us and in us, God. Give us a courage that we cannot understand. Fill us with your peace. Lord, we don't know what lies ahead. We don't know what things you're going to have us to go through, but Lord, I'm asking, grow us up as a church now, Lord, that we're ready for that time. Bring revival to our hearts, God. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.